The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. And my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? And it is time now, the first 10 days of the new year, uh, to sign up for Chen's letter. He will be accepting new subscribers during the first 10 business days of 2014. To do that, you can go to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com, or you can call our office uh, during normal work hours at 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426. You can also sign up for my newsletter at miningstocks.com. I want to thank each of you for listening to the show, making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. We also want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for today's show are Nanostruck Technologies, Paramount Gold, Columbus Gold, and Golden Arrow Resources. We do hope uh, you will keep your comments and questions and uh, criticisms and uh, all comments of whatever flavor coming our way. Jay Taylor, uh, go to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com, questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. We have a very full schedule today, so let's get right into what today's show is about. David Gerwitz, Daniel McAdams, Paul Usum, and David Cole all return. Daniel McAdams will review the activities of the America's military-industrial complex during uh, during the last year, 2013. And I will ask him about the impact that Edward Snowden has had on both U.S. domestic and foreign policy. To what extent are gold and silver markets manipulated? To what extent is that manipulation tied in with geopolitical concerns? We'll try to put together what Daniel has to say, along with Paul Usum, who's going to be joining us. Paul has some very interesting new ideas and, and actually a new revelation about a major player in the gold market, at least for now. He's going to talk to us about, about that player uh, that is actually bigger than J.P. Morgan. You know, there's questions out there about J.P. Morgan of whether or not they are manipulating the gold market, the gold price downward, so as to be able to buy gold very inexpensively for their Chinese clients. 
Now, there's some thought that that could be the case, and some evidence has been provided, uh, circumstantial evidence that would suggest that is a very real possibility. We'll talk to Paul Usum about that. Then from the theory to the practical, David Cole of Eurasian Minerals will be with us uh, also to update us on that company's exciting projects. It's really a growing royalty company with a lot of exciting royalty projects. It also has a, an extremely exciting project, a copper-gold porphyry target in Russia that it has an equity interest in one of the major partners. That is a project that Freeport McMurrin is developing and moving forward. So we look to talk to David Cole. My thinking is that that project alone justifies the price of the shares, uh, which are now less than $1. Regarding gold, will it return to a bull market in 2014? We're going to talk to David Gerwitz to get his, uh, to he'll be telling us what Charles Nanner is saying about uh, his forecast for gold in 2014. Well, actually, my engineer is telling me that we do have to go to commercial break now, but don't go away because as soon as we come back, David Gerwitz will be here to talk about Charles Nanner's forecast for gold, stocks, bonds, and other markets. Don't go away. Be right back. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network paramount gold and silver is a u.s-based exploration company with multi-million ounce gold and silver deposits paramount's primary asset the sleeper gold project in northern nevada is located in one of the world's most prolific mining districts Paramount's gold equivalent resources stand at over 7 million ounces. Paramount trades on the NYSE under the symbol PZG. For more information, go to www.paramountgold.com. Paramount Gold is located for success in gold and silver exploration. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again David Gerwitz. Um, David uh, serves as the Managing Director of Charles Nanner Research. Uh, he is responsible for working directly with clients to assess the markets and has been working hand-in-hand with cycle for, uh, forecaster Charles Nanner for almost a decade. Uh, the email-based service provides unique analysis of stocks, bonds, currencies, commodities, economic indicators, um, and uh, Managing Director uh, David speaks regularly with clients worldwide, hedge funds, family offices, pension funds, brokers, 
and private individuals. And I must say that uh, I have been privy to uh, the work of Charles Nanner uh, three, four times a week, and it is excellent. It is uh, something that I've used to trade with and have done uh, fairly well with it to the extent I've had time to keep up with it, uh, but it is an excellent service. And I should uh, mention Charles Nanner is really an outstanding uh, technician, uh, probably one of the best, if not the best in the business. So I'm really proud to have David come on uh, from time to time and talk about it. But Char- David is, is really, uh, my friend here, David Gerwitz, is really no slouch either. He's has uh, several letters behind his names, like JD, MBA, and CPA from good universities, from good institutions. Uh, and so um, I'm, it's always a pleasure to have him with me. Thank you uh, again for joining me, David. Jay, that's such a beautiful intro. I'm not sure I can, I can live up to it. Oh, yes, you do. You, okay. you, live, you, you live up to it very well, David. Okay. Uh, we've had you on a number of times, and I keep reading the bio for the sake of those that might not have been with me and heard you in the past. But, uh, yeah. you know, uh, one of the things I didn't mention from that bio, David, is you do a lot of charity work, and you are a musician, right. as is Charles Nanner. You play the piano. Uh, just before we get into the markets and talk about some of those uh, some of those issues, tell us a little bit about your charity work and, and what was the last thing that you've done in that regard. Well, I am a composer and a concert pianist. My mother played in Carnegie Hall when she was 16. I never knew. It's one of those stories. It's on my site. I have a site, davidgerwitz.com. I was a basketball player and I was a math student. It's a funny combo, and that led to me finding out that music is math. Mm-hmm. And I... In, I've told the story. I ran down to the music building, Brandeis University, in 1973, and my hands had it in, you know, from dribbling a basketball so many times, I put it on the piano, and I had it, and turned down my mother played in Carnegie Hall. I never knew until years after she died, my cousin told me. Interesting. It's one of those stories, but because music and math, the same thing was a Fibonacci sequence that was the key to bringing that together. When I met Charles over mm-hmm. a decade ago, one of the indicators he looks at, not the main one, is the Elliott wave, which is based on Fibonacci, which where every number is the sum of the previous two. So mm-hmm. it's one, one, two, three, five, eight, thirteen, twenty-one, thirty-four, and so all those numbers, as they go up, they all have a a, a ratio that a, approaches point six one eight, and so mm-hmm. that has to be retracement level of the market. So Charles, being a doctor, looks at cycles, which is equidistant top to tops in any data series like gold and apple and bonds all the stuff we talked mm-hmm. about they all have names stocks bonds but the reality is they all follow the same internal patterns which is not so easy for people to accept that it's not janet yellen uh-huh. the bond world or fisher but yeah. it's cycles and it's not you know the, the, whether barrack has a great discovery it cycles and all the stuff you know we think is so different than what everyone thinks and it happens to work so maybe people should listen and they obviously do we have a very good business we don't manage money thank god <laughs> not our <laughs> problem you know but we say what we see and you've been a beneficiary and a lot of other people and so we appreciate the ability to share the the, the work absolutely well it's really it's really good to have you with me and you know uh, I, I should mention, though, that you do charity events. T- tell us, just yeah, take a second. Right. So the first one I did, I did a big one for Special Olympics in Connecticut several years ago. One of our clients on the board of Special Olympics. And from that, and your listeners, too, you can contact me. I, I'm, I have a soft spot for playing a concert. I, I don't take any money. It usually costs me, actually, which is fine to help raise money for events. I did one up in Canada recently in Toronto for a group called Sketch 
where mm-hmm. a woman literally handed a homeless kid, homeless kid, 25, a can of paint, and from that has led to an organization. It's the biggest one in Toronto helping street kids you know, access themselves with art, with music, with dance, and mm-hmm. they, they, they get them into this, the mainstream. And I've met a lot of these kids. I go up there quite a bit because we have a big business up in Canada, and I enjoy playing concerts where they can help raise money. I was in Lexington, Kentucky a little while ago. I'm planning to do in Alabama, planning to do in Florida. In Europe, I've played several times. In New York, a bunch of places. I would do one for your listeners also, Jay. We could, oh, I need a good piano. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Give me a really good Yamaha grand well, piano. We'll, we'll, we'll have to look into that sometime. Yeah. Well, let's get on to the markets, uh, sure. David. Um, uh, last August, Charles uh, Nanner told Newsmax TV audience, uh, that we are heading for a recession and it's going to be bad. He said. He said it's it's very scary because we didn't have a lot of growth and when this economic expansion is over, we're going to be in trouble. Is Charles still of that view that we're headed uh, for something? I mean, it would be nothing new, and you as you were just saying, nothing new under the sun. Yeah. Cycles occur and reoccur and reoccur, so it wouldn't be surprising that Charles is calling for for a downturn because you, they always follow upturns, right? So, right. but does he still see yeah. as something more ominous than normal that yes. we might be facing heading into 2014? And I, I believe he said towards the end of 2014. Yeah, although the first ugliness starting in the Q1 even though we've had a tremendous run-up, obviously, in stocks mm-hmm. and the dollar, right, which we'll talk about also as part of the conversation. But um, we see next year the volatility is going to increase tremendously, and um, there's also going to be some major issues vis-a-vis the stock market. It looks like it's going to, it's going to be some periods of, to be short next year. You know, so that and in answer to your question, that's just stocks. But in terms of the economy, he did say that there would be a strong economy coming into the first quarter, but it would stop. And then, of course, they they announced tapering back again. The the cycles come before the tapering. You know, mm-hmm. that's how we look at things. And it's not going to be pretty. That's kind of what he's saying. But that's why I tell you, listeners, always write in for the research as you com. Say they listen to me and Jay speak, and they'll be able to see as we write three times a week and all the charts on Sunday following it, because it's 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 a pretty good service, and he wrote it at Goldman Sachs, so this is kind of what people see. It's a very good service. Um, it is one that I look forward to receiving, and I the only... The only complaint I have is I'd like to get it daily, but that's uh, but then, uh, <laughs> that's too much work. <laughs> <laughs> but it's but it's an excellent service, and it really is. Um, so more volatility. There might be some chance yeah. to make some money in the VIX with yeah. volatility uh, yeah. this year. And and speaking of that, I know it's one of the things uh, Charles talks about very frequently. As a matter of fact, I'm looking at the missive of Friday morning, and he's saying the VIX is now on a sell signal again. Short-term yeah. cycles are down until December 26th. Right. A close above 15.2 is now needed for a buy signal. Mm-hmm. So I guess yeah. he's seeing a little a little quiet period here now? Right. Well, we we think stocks have a little more to go. Uh-huh. You know, 18.20 is a target. Even though <laughs> cycles are topping, again, he, I think I've said this before, but you go to a doctor and you sprain your ankle, or you don't know, fractured, broken, sprain. So that he takes a bunch of x-rays and looks at them. In effect, what Charles does, he's not the only one. We have a research department. They look at a combination of things to determine what's happening. So you have cycles, which are equidistant top-to-tops, like a bunch of 
superimposed EKGs of a heartbeat uh -huh. over one another to see. Mm -hmm. We have a target algorithm, which is completely different than the cycles, which mm -hmm. only give you direction. We look at Elliott Wave, we look at point and figure, we look at candlesticks, we look at stochastics, all the stuff other people look at. So when they all line up, the, the assumption is it's a fracture, or it's mm -hmm. not. And so it's, that's why we can actually say it's risky, but there's still a target of 1820. depends on who the audience is. One person's more risk but taking, he'll stay long till 1820 when a lot of individual stocks and another person's less risk-taking will get out because he doesn't want to play for the extra few points given that cycles are topping. So that's the VIX story. VIX obviously is volatility, so people tend to think if VIX is down, there'll be a better stock market and if VIX is up, it's the opposite. It doesn't always work the way, but it generally does. David, when you say uh, the target is 1820, you're talking the S&P? S&P futures. Uh, S&P futures, and I, as I look at the uh, at the screen here, we're we're already looking at something uh, very close to that. Yeah, so that's kind of the number uh, we come up with, which is based on also the, the 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 targets in whether it's stocks, bonds, commodities, currencies, etc. Gold got out in 1900. Even now, we still have a lower target of 1140, um, and we do think it will go all the way back up again, which probably will make you happy and your listeners happy, but not yet. That's all based on the same assumption that the, the, what's in nature in, 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 in terms of quantum physics is also uh, running every move in every stock, bond, commodity currency. It's not so easy for people to accept this, but the fact that you see it works means maybe it's right. No, it's not so easy for people to accept the fact that we don't have control over everything in our <laughs> well, lives. And that's the bottom line and that, also. That, that's the bottom line. That's the bottom and, line here. We're not in control. Uh, but, control. Uh, yeah, but I'm thinking of, um, I'm thinking of some, work, uh, some, some words in the, in the Bible, uh, in the Old yeah. Testament, it talks about nothing new under the sun, and, right. and I think that's, uh, that's exactly right. So, well, you, that was actually King Solomon. Exactly, exactly yeah. was King Solomon, yeah. uh, the the wisest man to ever live, perhaps. 3,000 years ago. Yeah. yeah, and and what he says applies as much today as it did then, although a lot of people would, would rather not think that's so. Uh, let's, um, you brought up gold while we're on that topic then. 1140 is Charles' new target? Yeah, um, it doesn't have to go there, but that's a target that he's had for a little bit of a while. I know so, he he was looking at twelve hundred. We've we've right, gone we through that there. now. Uh -huh. So the next is eleven forty, and we wanted people to be out. So if they're short term traders, they could trade it. But there is going to be opportunity to buy gold and silver. It's just we're getting close. We're near a trade or below, but not yet. And hopefully, people have been patient. Jay, you've lived the gold world longer than me. I don't know oh. how long you've been doing it. Maybe three decades. Oh well, since nineteen late seventies. So yes. Yeah, so I, you, I, listen, you're talking four and a half decades, right? Yeah. Yeah. So let's just review there. Gold was low, 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 low. Then it had a ten-year run until two years ago. Right. That was exactly. Enormous. Now it's been back fifty percent the last, you know, two years. Right? Yeah. Fifty percent retracement, pretty much, which is not abnormal. Yep. That's exactly you know, right. In a big scan, so it's going to go back. Yeah. Go back. And yeah. so you, I, I shouldn't say you know it or we know it, but we we only know what the figures show us. But if we got out of gold 1900, which most people didn't, we got out of Apple 700, and most people didn't, and said everything until the down move is just a bunch of bounces, which has been the case. Maybe the system's right, and then both of them are going to go back beyond their previous highs. Well, you mentioned Apple. What is Charles saying about Apple now? Long term, 770. Where is it now? Uh, roughly? In the low fives. 
you yeah. know, five, yeah. you know, and and these, this is a nice bounce recently, but it's all it is. It's going to go back down, and then the time to load up the truck. Well, I know that Charles mentions Apple frequently. It's one of those stocks that he that he mentions in his well, uh, three times. It's, it's so covered and traded. Yeah. And I can't. I would imagine the industry of the stock world. I can't imagine how much money's made just on the fees generated from the options done on Apple. Oh, I'll bet. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, it's, it's certainly, um, uh, this is what is so interesting about uh, Charles' work is that he covers so many different topics and uh, so many different markets, and I want to get to a couple more of those sure. now. You know, uh, going back to that Newsmax uh, interview that was done with Charles, he said, uh, we, you know, he's worried because we didn't have enough leverage, he said. And I, my first response to that was, what? What are you talking about, Charles? Because... We've had trillions of dollars of, of of stimulus pumped in, you know, 85, now $75 billion a month of new money created out of nothing. We've had money created like never before, mm-hmm. but I guess what he's saying is that it's given the conditions that we're in, in order the, we, we didn't we didn't spring up enough uh, so that the next cycle we're starting from a lower point, I guess is, is his Well, idea. let me just address this for a second, and it's, again, it's something... We're talking economics, not the tradable thing, stocks, bonds. But sure, you know, there's economic indicators also. The the VIX, the mm-hmm. unemployment, you know, uh, producer prices, all that stuff. I think the what he's trying to say there is that basically, you know, what should government do? They don't have as they don't have any free choice. Also, they could do whatever, but it's all built in. What's going to happen? The uh-huh. rates have been down for 30 years from 18 down to nothing now. They're going to go back up the next 30 years, tapering, not tapering. You know, I'm saying not next week. Bond prices are actually going to go up, we think. But longer term, we've had a 60-year cycle 60 years ago when I was born. Mm-hmm. I was born 55. 1952, rates were 2%. Mm-hmm. 30 years ago, they were 18. Today, they're 2, 2 and a half. So that's a 60-year cycle. And so the next up move... 30 years, I'm not saying it's going 18, but it's going towards, well, it's not going to go any lower much, but it could. But that's where we go, is that's a cycle. (laughs) And so whatever government does, not going to do anything about it. And the question he always says is, if if the seasons go, why not just plant for it, have a coat when winter's coming? You know, food prices are going to go way up, not yet, but that's going to be a big issue. Mm-hmm. You know, war cycles are bottoming, even mm-hmm. though, you know, a lot of people claim there's not going to be any more wars because, the midi- you know, according to cycles, there will be. There will be. And that could affect oil. Which well, for we sure. See for that sure. oil is on its way down. We're about to go short oil. We got out of 117. We originally got out of 147. That was several years ago. And Charles called for deflation. He was on CNBC. Everyone can go to the site and see it. Mm-hmm. But, and then it went down all the way to high 30s again and back up into this range between 80 and 120. And now we see a down move again. So oil. so oil is, uh, so Charles, is, is short-term bearish on oil. Yeah, longer correct. term? Longer term? Uh, bullish. Bullish, yeah. Yeah, but it, we, you know, that's why people should see the site, because it moves. Like yeah. Matt Gass went 12 bucks to six, and everyone thought it was going back up, and he called it to buck 70 seven years ago. <laughs> went to buck 90. Uh-huh. Now it's back up. We just made some great calls on that gas, literally. That gas hard trade. You know, not everyone knows how to do it. Yeah. The, and then it's, we're getting ready for it to go back down into the high 170s again, 180. 
Well, interestingly enough, I've I've managed on a, on a short run to do fairly well with Nat Gas. There's a couple of ETFs, leveraged ETFs that I've used, and you know I think the secret for me, uh, David, is uh, that uh, is not to get too greedy. When you've got a profit, be right. thankful. Right. Be thankful and take it, and not uh, sometimes Charles will set a target. And I'm not going to wait around for that target to to sell and take my profit and say thank you very much. But right, uh, that's the way to do it. Especially nowadays, like even the VIX, is, you can't do it for six months. You yeah, do it for a week or two, and it's not yeah. so easy. Yeah. The world's not designed. Two thirds of trading is all algorithm based now. Yeah, yeah. And, and so for the normal humans, uh, uh, how do they deal with it? It's very hard. It's very difficult. No question about we it. We get questions all the time. I want long-term positions. And I say, good luck. You know, it's not so easy to do <laughs> yeah. if you can live through things. They want it to stay in gold. You know, a lot of people, yeah. when it was $1,800, sure. they told everyone, just stand aside. Well, you know, when it comes to gold, David, I think there is a place for people to buy gold, the bullion, store it away, forget about it. It's there. It's just pure wealth long-term. But that's something different. We're talking about Nanner, Charles Nanner's work is geared towards trading in and out of markets. And um, I, I'd like to go back to the U.S. Treasury bonds, if we could, because that, to me, is the most important market. I mean, gold is probably, for me personally, more important in many ways uh, because of my business is geared around gold, which I think is real honest money, honest uh, weights and measures, as opposed to the fraudulent stuff that's being created out of <laughs> thin air by the politicians, by the by the bankers. But right. U.S. Treasury bonds are, of course, uh, being purchased now with money that's created out of nothing by the Fed. We have these enormously low interest rates. But you said something a few minutes ago that I think is very interesting, and uh, I think you, you indicated that basically Yellen or Bernanke, whoever's in there, will is not really in charge. They are responding to the movements of the market. Did I understand? Is that your position and Charles' position? Pretty well, much yeah, right? yeah, that's correct. But they, they, they have no ability to do anything. But you don't want to put that on the front page of the paper because it's not a politically correct statement. No, I know but, it's not a politically you know, correct statement. But, but that's you're not, the reality. They have it's all set in motion. and yeah. Nothing they could do. But, but you're that's part you're, of Keynesian that we, you know, Keynesian ideas. We hey. can affect things. That's why go politicians believe in it because they get elected as saying that we have power to do something. Right. They don't. Exactly. Well, I, I would just mention that certainly that's an I that's that's you're not alone in, in saying that. Uh, Bob Hoy, who I've had on this show from time to time in the past, is always makes that point that the Fed is reacting. They like you to think they are proactive and they're fixing things. But let's get to the Treasury, U.S. Treasury bonds, short term. I think um, Charles is a little bit bullish. Uh, thinks yes, that we have on some prices, uh, correct? correct. Mm -hmm. On prices, but not, and, not yeah. for yeah. You see today's research. Actually, let me read you what it says. Yeah, you know, I only edit it, but it doesn't mean I remember it. Um, let me take a look. Here. I have it in front of me as well. Okay, so you you uh, what's the bonds? Let me get down. The bonds, the 30-year needs to close above 130.14, the 10 above 125.03, TLT above 104.35 to give a short-term buy signal. TLT cycles are getting close to a low. So we want to go long TLT and a close above 134.35 with a tight stop, which means mm -hmm. we think bonds are going to go up here. We still think stocks have a So the stocks and bonds going together and sometimes opposite, they don't always go opposite. Mm -hmm. I can give you proof. Just looking from 1980, if you bought bonds and just held them for 30 years. Oh, my goodness. Oh, so my goodness, stocks, yes. If you bought stocks in 80, right, you had the 87 hit, you had the 2000 hit, and you've had a bunch of, so you've had run-ups three times up till today, 
but it wasn't straight up. So if you did that same paired trade, long stocks, long bonds, in 2000, it wasn't good. In 2087, it wasn't good, right? And, you know, so you can't always say bonds and stocks go opposite. They sometimes go hand in hand. Yeah. So, and we think at some point they're going to go hand in hand down. Okay, Charles. I, um, Charles, David. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I, you 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 personify Charles in my mind. Um, okay, I, I met Charles good. one time, and he is a brilliant man. Uh, I like to say he has smoke coming out of his ears. This <laughs> guy, true. This guy's <laughs> brains are are on fire. He's, he's yeah, just true. absolutely true. brilliant. Yeah. Uh, but David, you do such a great job of uh, explaining Charles Nanner. I want to thank you very much for coming on the show. I just see. My engineer is telling me our time is up. It goes so fast with you. Always goes so fast. Okay. I wanted to ask you about the Canadian dollar, the shekel. We talked about national gas. You actually follow the the shekel. Uh, uh, is there an ETF that you can use to play that currency? Uh, Do you know? I don't think so. No. Okay. So, so you either have to have to buy the uh, the currency or, or yeah, you can look it. up. If somebody wants to trade it, they go. There's Israeli banks that have uh, offices in America, and you can people can find it that way. I would recommend the euro is easier. You can do FXE. Yeah. And yeah. then the FXA for the Aussie. Euro is topping right here, so that's yeah. a good balance. That's exactly shorter. right. That's a, that's another thing I wanted to mention uh, that Charles is calling a short-term top, I suppose. Huh? Mm-hmm. Longer term mm-hmm. on the euro? Strong. The euro's strong longer term, yeah. vis-a-vis, vis-a-vis the dollar. Mm-hmm. Right. The dollar's going to hit. It's, it's had a good run for a while. It's going to hit a wall this year. Okay. Well, that, that should be bullish, I would think, for gold as well. Well, you know we don't agree A implies B, but we do think there's going to be up moves for gold with, obviously, profit-taking until it really starts its up move. So I guess you could say that, but we just look at them all separately. Of course, of course. Well, thank you very much. You know, very always a pleasure to have you with me. I want to thank you again, David, for, for joining me again. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I look forward to talking to you again soon. Okay, likewise. My best to you and your wife. Thank you very much, and to you and yours as well. Thank Folks, you. don't go away. We're going to be right back after the break. Uh, we're going to be talking to uh, my good friend Daniel McAdams from the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity. Don't go away. We'll be right back. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Golden Arrow Resources on the TSX Exchange has recently made a new silver discovery and is presently drilling a 6,500-meter program on that discovery. A maiden resource calculation is expected to be released in April of this year. The project is located in Jujuy Province in northern Argentina, just 30 kilometers from the Perquitas Mine, operated by Silver Standard. Golden Arrow has an experienced team with decades of experience in Argentina. Golden Arrow offers shareholders exceptional leverage with an exciting new silver discovery. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. 
Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me a, a regular guest on this show, Daniel McAdams. He's currently the executive director of the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity. And uh, Daniel served as the Foreign Affairs, Civil Liberties, and Defense Policy Advisor to uh, Congressman Paul uh, when he was in Congress from 2001 uh, through Dr. Paul's retirement in 2012. Welcome, Daniel. It's good to have you back with us again. Thank you so much, Jay. It's good to talk to you. Always good to hear from you. Always lots of very important and interesting discussions that we have with you concerning uh, um, items that are listed and talked about and discussed in depth from a libertarian, a free uh, market perspective, uh, geopolitics uh, from a Ron Paul libertarian perspective. Uh, What I'd like to do today, Daniel, is ask you a little bit about some of what I consider to be some of the main geopolitical events of 2013. You know, what stands out most in my mind, it may not be the most important one, but as an individual as an individual living in America, it probably hits home the closest. And that's uh, the Edward Snowden revelation of the spying on American citizens by NSA. And not only American citizens, but also um, you know, foreign foreign leaders and foreigners as well. The whole notion that everything, every conversation we ever make, uh, and every website we ever visit, and every email we ever send is being captured by the NSA is just unconscionable, in my view, from a libertarian point of view, from a civil liberties point of view. But let's uh, f- before we talk more about that, and I do want to get I, I do want to get your opinion on that. I know Judge Napolitano has spoken about uh, a recent ruling that has gone in favor uh, or against the NSA. Um, how, how much of an effect do you think Edward Snowden may have had on uh, geopolitics generally? Do you think he might have had some effect in terms of how President Obama has treated uh, some of the foreign matters? Well, I think, I think you're right, and I think what it's done is, I mean, I think there already has been a lot of skepticism about U.S. foreign policy, <clears throat> about the neocons and uh, the, the other side of the coin, the humanitarian interventionists uh, that will be on the left side. I think the rest of the world has already been quite suspicious of it. And I think what this, what this noted in terms of, you know, as you say, geopolitics, I think it allowed much more leeway for, for countries to give, to give some room to these suspicions, to... Uh, to, to um, amplify these suspicions that they've had and to voice the suspicions. And I think, you know, I think there has been a club of, you know, they call it the Five Eyes, the, the, uh, the UK, Australia, all of these countries that the U.S. shared intelligence with. And uh, they, were, they were all kind of a club. They all shared it. And it became much more embarrassing when it all came out, mm. particular things about... Um, the, the tapping of uh, Angela Merkel's telephone, the Chancellor of Germany, and so I think it, it, it became an embarrassment, and I think it made it much more okay to criticize uh, the U.S. and to take a good hard look at what kind of a, of a partner the U.S. is. So that's probably a healthy thing, I think. It's, uh, it's like telling your friend that he's had one too many or something. Yeah. 
Well, so. what do you think, how much of a surprise do you think this would have been to leaders like Merkel that we were spying on her? She must have known that before. Uh, so it's probably not a new revel. I mean, I'm just saying, speaking what I think, you tell me what you think. I don't believe that it would be a surprise to Merkel and others that, that, that they would be, people would be eavesdropping on them, but that, uh, but it was an embarrassment, I guess, to the larger, to the larger population, perhaps. No, I think you're you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, I think it was a matter of it coming out in the open and being an embarrassment. I think there is an assumption. I'm sure there is an assumption that they everyone knows every everyone spies on everyone else to the degree they can. Countries spy on other countries. Uh, you know, and we don't deny the U.S. certainly has legitimate intelligence concerns. There are reasons to have an intelligence service. Mm-hmm. We're not a, we're not opposed to the idea of a of the U.S. intelligence community. Uh, to a degree, that's needed. But what we saw is the uh, the really ugly underside, and we found out that it was so enormous and so ugly that, the, that the, this tip of the iceberg that we, we all, or most of us, agree is necessary has become quite obscured by all of these, these revelations of, of, of really wrongdoing. Uh so we've had the a judge uh, a court rule against the NSA and i whoever the uh the plaintiff was came forward and wanted an injunction placed against the NSA to stop immediately all of its spying on individuals uh the judge didn't rule that way suggested that it needed to be appealed Talk to us a little bit. I know Judge Napolitano has written, and you've written some things about this decision as well on the Ron Paul Institute website. Talk to us a little bit about this case, if you would, Daniel, and, and what it might mean going forward. Sure, and as, as you say, Judge Napolitano, who's uh, a great hero of liberty and very, very happy and lucky to say is, is an advisor to the Ron Paul Institute, um, he has been terrific on this, and, you know, the judge has a wonderful way of explaining pretty complex legal things mm-hmm. in a way the rest of us can understand. Uh, but he, he boiled down what he called the, um, the second most important thing after the actual ruling of Judge uh, Richard Leon of the um, U.S. District Court in uh, D.C. Um, what, what Judge Napolitano found, the second most important thing, is the, uh, the reasoning behind the ruling that they had, the government had not been able to demonstrate that this massive... Uh, metadata collection on Americans has been effective at all. Mm-hmm. And he points out, and this is a quote, he said, General Alexander originally said under oath that we stopped 52 plots. The next day he corrected himself to three. When asked what the three were, he couldn't answer them. Wow. So, wow. How ridiculous. And though, so they're, yeah, they're using this as an excuse to watch each of us and, and to control our, ultimately, if they want to, to control our actions. Sure. And you know, the chairman of the House. Uh, intelligence committee, the Senate Intelligence Committee, uh, Feinstein, uh, people that we know and love like Peter King. Oh my goodness! Uh, they all they all defended this to the high heavens, saying, "If you were somehow opposed to this, you want us to be attacked. You couldn't even imagine how many hundreds of plots we've foiled with this." And now we know they were all lying. They were out and out lying. They had been colluding with the administration to deceive all of us about how effective these things were, and. It will be interesting to see if there's a backlash against them. And I think there has been. And, you know, as you open this discussion up, um, we, we talked about Snowden, and I think that's been probably the most significant effect of what happened with the Snowden revelations. 
is that it became the high water mark of the enormous fear that the Bush administration at first, and certainly continued in the Obama administration, this incredible fear of this terrorist threat, uh, and how it allowed them to expand the national security state, the surveillance state, the TSA, and all of these things. Oh, gosh, the you, TSA. You know, you don't dare question any of it because we're at threat. We're keeping you safe. Just shut up and take it. And I think the Snowden revelations, uh, certainly in conjunction with this ruling now, people are just not buying it anymore. And we're not, you know, I don't know how far over uh, over that tipping point we are, but I think we're about there. And I think that is an incredibly healthy development for the United States. And I think that alone should make us very optimistic. I have to agree with you on that. But you know this guy, King, and I live on the same island as this man lives on. Well, what his constituency is on Long Island. I happen to live in Queens. Thanks be to God he's not my representative, although I don't know that mine is much better. The point <laughs> is that this guy um, is a bald-faced liar, in essence. And I'm looking at an, an article I picked up off the, uh, off the Internet uh, today. Representative uh, Peter King says, Rand Paul disgraced his office with clapper attacks. And what's the, I mean, this is just, what maybe uh, the clapper attacks, could you tell our our listeners about that? Didn't clapper lie under oath to Congress? Is that not disgracing his office? Yeah, exactly. And so when, when, uh, when the senator uh, criticizes him, and I'm, uh, you know, I, I haven't read the article, so I don't know specifically what he's referring to, but if the senator were, if that was what the senator was criticizing, mm-hmm. uh, how can you, how can you, how can you disgrace your office by criticizing someone who's disgraced his office in the worst possible way? Yeah. But, you know, that's par for the course with Peter King. He's a big bully. Uh, he's, he's embarrassed by his own past because he used to raise money for terrorist groups himself right. not that long ago. Right. Uh, and uh, here's the great anti-terrorist yeah. uh, who, who really is just a bully and a thug, the worst kind of neocon. Well, you wonder where, you know, what drives this guy? Why in the world is he like that? Is it, uh, you know, you, you just you just wonder about some of these people. What motivates them to be in office? Uh, it, it certainly isn't something they believe in, uh, if they can switch around. And I guess it's just subjective morality, right? You. Uh, well, I don't want to speak specifically of, of King because I don't yeah. have any specific details, but right. I know in general a lot of representatives as well as a lot of uh high-ranking military people, the political officers, um, they often reap great rewards and great financial benefits after they retire from a, a career of pushing military intervention overseas. Right. Uh, you know, I, I live not too far from the, the 28 corridor, which is where all of the uh, military-industrial complex for the U.S. is located, you know, and it's building after ghastly-looking building. Uh, of people who build things that don't really help any of us uh, but take our tax money. So there is a big paycheck at the end of the rainbow for those folks who are pushing these adventures. Yeah, I mean, the the pay uh, scale for representatives isn't all that great uh, when you look at the uh, private sector, but uh, a lot of these guys get out and and make tons of money once they're out. Uh, I guess they get favors returned for legislation passed, and you know, which is why I think Jimmy Carter was right when he said that America does not currently have a working democracy. Clearly, sure. it's uh, it's not the people that have a say with these guys that they vote for, and that's why it's so important that people like Snowden and all of us 
uh, expose these rascals for what they are. But getting back to this article, I see it says that um, essentially uh, King was railing against Rand Paul because uh, he apparently told uh, uh, on Blitzer, he told, or he told Blitzer on Wednesday that Clapper posed a greater threat to the nation's security than Snowden did. So you can imagine that's uh, whereas uh, King is wanting to go after Snowden and probably give him the death penalty. Uh, the fact that uh, Rand would say that, so it's 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 interesting, but it's also very important, um, very important material that we're that we're covering here, Daniel. And I, so I, I just think it's it's um, I think we can be very pleased so far. I guess the big question going forward, though, is um, you know how the courts will rule uh, on this uh, on this NSA issue. I guess we're going to be finding out sometime in the new year, hopefully pretty soon. Sure, and I think you know it's 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 hard to base everything on one court ruling. You know, there, there yeah. may be a there may be a disappointment at the end of this for, for for those of us who care about civil liberties. Right. But I think with each one of these rulings, with each one of the Snowden types of revelations, more and more people start thinking, "Gosh, I was really suckered in on on all this stuff they were telling us, and I really feel like a chump." And and people. There's nothing that irritates people and turns them the other way more than feeling like they've been taken for a ride. So I think the momentum is really coming in our direction. So it's, um, you know, look, there was a, a poll the other day that uh, I was reading about in the Washington Post that now the majority of Americans say that the, uh, that the Afghanistan war wasn't worth it. It was a mistake. Mm. So talk about uh, this big shift coming uh, in the perception of America. And, yeah. and I think we talked about it a couple times ago, Jay, um, the um, the American, if you look at this, is the first time that the majority of Americans uh, polled prefer a non-interventionist foreign policy. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're coming out ahead, and I think one of the reasons uh, relates to what, what you're doing as well. It's about economics. People realize that all of this foreign adventurism is costing them money. It's, it's ruining the economy. It's mm-hmm. keeping people from making a decent living and keeping the things from moving ahead, keeping us from doing business with certain countries overseas. And I think, you know, if it's driven by economic concerns, that's fine with me. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, whatever I'd, works. Yeah, I, I, I guess, you know, one of the one of the great things that, that Dr. Paul did was to try, uh, was to connect the dots between foreign policy and economics. And I think that's, that is so, so important. I think there's almost all of our policies probably have some exp- uh, economic component to it. And the, the sad part is that the, uh, most of the, uh, the, the things that drive policy is hidden from the sight of the, of the, of the people, I think, to, to a great extent. Why do we go to war? Why do we care about uh, intervening in all these countries like the, uh, the North African countries and all that? Uh, which leads me to Syria, which I would would think is also one of the bigger issues of this year. Uh, what are your thoughts on Syria? It seems as though Obama is sort of um, uh, is a little less bellicose than he was to start with. Uh, do you think there's maybe a shift in our policy in the Middle East going on now? Can we 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 can hope that's the case towards something less interventionist? But do you think that could be the case? I think it's touch and go at this point, but I think as an excellent example of the insanity of interventionism, how the interventionists, the neocons, the humanitarian, so-called humanitarians, can never, ever get it right. They always foul everything up. Now we're seeing, you know, if you remember a couple of years ago, 
President Obama said Assad must go, referring mm -hmm. to the president of Syria, as if he somehow has any say who rules a foreign country. Right. Nevertheless, it was a very arrogant Assad must go. And now the word is there's a, there's a Reuters article out now talking about um, uh, Western, Western uh, governments and diplomats, and what they're saying now is Assad cannot be allowed to go. Really? Huh. <laughs> how, Why the turn? Because... The people that they've been supporting to overthrow Assad have turned out to be far worse than he is. Yeah. Well, what else is new? Now they're to try to keep him in office. What else is new with our foreign policy, Daniel? I mean, this yeah, exactly. is... Exactly. And it just, it just shows, you know, and for conservatives who like the government to intervene less uh, inside the U.S., they should realize when they say the government can't get health care right, as we've seen, uh, they can't get socialized medicine, they can't get anything right, the same people somehow expect them to sort out these incredibly complex situations overseas. And time and time again we see that they just can't do it. They can't they can't figure it out and now it's we can't let this guy go. And now there's you know, there is some there are some factions in the US who don't want to let go of this and they've been mm -hmm. financing along with the Saudis this new group called the Islamic Front, who's supposed to be an alternative to Al Qaeda. But if you look, there was a really interesting uh, interview done last week uh, where they talked about the, the philosoph political philosophy of the leader of this group, and it's virtually identical to that of the al-Nusra Front and other al-Qaeda affiliates in Syria. So this really is kind of a fig leaf. But I think there's a momentous shift there, and what's going to happen, my prediction, is going to leave people like Erdogan, the um, prime minister of Turkey, mm -hmm. out in the cold. You know, he's always been scrambling... Uh, to do the bidding of NATO and to do the bidding of the big guys, uh -huh. and he keeps getting slapped in the face, and uh, he probably is going to end up being a uh, a a, a, um, a consequence of this. He'll 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 be out. Is my guess. He'll be out of office in in Turkey. You think? At the very least, uh, he'll find himself without any friends. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's. Um, I mean, we we treat our. You know, we treat. Some of these dictators is our greatest friends for the longest time, and then when they no longer serve our purpose, they're, you know, we do a hit on them. So it's, it's incredible the way we handle things. But um, what, what, um, you know, go, getting to uh, the Ukraine is another area that I think is very, very fascinating. Uh, you know, the way I've looked at it, it probably just because I don't dig into it, and because I'm penit you know, we we all have to listen to the major media. You know, I've always sort of seen the Ukraine as a Putin versus U.S. or Putin versus the West um, sort of a uh, confrontation there. But w what's your take on the Ukraine and, and their apparent uh, siding with Putin and against the West? Yeah, I think the, the there, are, there are so many factors. It's incredibly complex, much more complex than, uh, you know, certainly I'm not an expert in the, in the area and, and, and most of us aren't. But but there are some important factors. Uh, it is portrayed in the West as Putin versus the West, and that's unfortunate. Uh, it is a next-door neighbor. Uh, Russia would naturally want to have trading relations with a neighbor, as we like to have trade with Canada and Mexico. Sure. Um, the other issue, Russia does not necessarily need Ukraine. Uh, however, Russia does not want a NATO member hostile government on its immediate border. Uh -huh. We we wouldn't either. We we would be concerned about uh, Chinese takeover of of Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so there is that concern and it's a reasonable one, but you have a lot of European hotheads, particularly the new members 
uh, people like the, my favorite neocon uh, to dislike, Radek Sikorsky in Poland, who used to haunt the halls of the American Enterprise Institute here in Washington before he got a new job. Uh, but they are incredibly bellicose, and they want NATO missiles lined up all the way across the border, along the border with Russia. Wow. You know, they're extremists. And, you know, let's face the facts. Uh, Ukraine signed a deal with Russia this past week, uh, which will have a, from what, they, from what it appears, about a $12 billion economic advantage for Ukraine. Um, you and I don't like these deals because they're pretty status, the state signing a, an agreement with another state, but that's beyond our, our, our purview. And the, the EU was offering about, I think, $300 million in IMF loans or something pretty piddly when you think about $12 billion. So even in terms of just simply hard, cold, hard cash, the deal is more attractive to Ukraine. Plus, they get a, you know, they get a big discount on natural gas uh, from Russia, which is something that they desperately need. Mm-hmm. Well, that's very interesting because uh, it, it seems to me the uh, Ukrainian uh, Ukraine's made the right decision. Then, from their point of view, I, I don't. I can imagine uh, why would somebody want to join the European Union? That's a sick puppy. I mean, we're looking at uh, you know. I mean, it's bankrupt essentially, and and all of the lesser uh, countries seem to get. I mean, it's the same thing that John Perkins talked about the old over and over and over again. Get people and get companies and countries in debt so that you own them. It seems to me so. Uh, yeah, it, it looks to me like the Ukrainians did the best thing for the Ukrainians. And the, One, U, the EU overplayed its hand so far. There was it's absolutely unnecessary for it to be framed in these terms. Yeah. There's no reason why Ukraine can have good trading relations with Russia. Russia and positive relations with the EU. But yeah. what the EU wants is to meddle in internal Ukrainian affairs. Yeah. They told them there are a number of people that they need to let out of their prisons and this oh. and that and the other. So yeah. they, they completely overplay their hand and it irritates people. They don't they don't want to give up their sovereignty. Yeah, exactly right, and thank God for that. I, I hope that Americans will feel that way, too, as we look at uh, countless treaties that they're trying to shove uh, down our throats without us even knowing it. Uh, one more issue. We're just about out of town. Uh, I'm out of town. I'm out of time here. Uh, Japan and China, what's going on there, Daniel, and, and how do you think that will play out uh, come 2014? I think it's it's potentially dangerous. I think the United States should should be careful what it does, you know. Just to back up, China declared a, a group of islands uh, that are in dispute between China and Japan, Japan to be a security zone for China. Uh, it's a dispute that has a lot to do with resources, uh, although the islands themselves are just rocks, but there are resources involved. Uh, national pride is involved. China and Japan have a long history of being at each other's throats. Um, but the but the thing is, the U.S. should not be involved at all. Mm -hmm. uh, this is the problem of our. Uh, this is the moral hazard of our security guarantees uh, in East Asia and the rest of the world. Uh, as soon as China declared the security zone, the U.S. flew some B-52s over the zone without telling them, basically just daring the Chinese to respond, which is silly and dangerous. Mm -hmm. And so then, this past uh, couple of days ago. Uh, there was a very close near miss between a U.S. and Chinese naval vessel. Mm -hmm. And, of course, the U.S. said nothing about the, the provocative nature of its B-52 flight, but our old friend Chuck Hagel, who was supposed to be a peacenik, um, has ratcheted up and said that Chinese, the Chinese were irresponsible for their, for their behavior in the, in the, uh, with this naval encounter and this sort of thing. So 
it's uh, it's never bad when we do it. It's only when there's a response to something we've done. Yeah. So we need to definitely ratchet that down. Uh, let these two countries handle it themselves. It is not our fight in any way, shape, or form. Well, I uh, wish it were so. I, I'm sure there are people that don't believe that. The military-industrial complex is itching for another war uh, that it can make more and more money on. How? What do they care how many people die in the in the face of battle? So, unfortunately, that's the world we live in. Daniel, uh, the world we live in also tells me that we're out of time. I uh, will look forward, though, to talking to you. I think we've got you scheduled for next week, and we'll talk to you about some more current events that uh, are always popping up uh, on the geopolitical scene. And, again, it's the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity. Folks, go there every day. There's new material there if you care. Two hoots about what goes on in the world uh, and what our country is doing uh, in other nations and, and what that means for you, because it definitely means a lot for you. Daniel, you know, one of the things I was just thinking, where do we get the money to get involved in another war? We're broke already, so this is a whole issue, and this has definite de- uh, domestic ramifications. All of these wars do, so it's very, very important in every, every way. Thank you very much, Daniel, for being with us uh, once again. Look forward to talking to you next week. Thank you, Jay. Bye-bye. Well, folks, don't go away because when I come back, I'll be talking to Paul Yusuf, uh, who will provide more evidence that some very powerful multinational forces with economic interest around the globe are manipulating the gold price. You know, we had James Rickards on this show a few months back, and he talked about how many nations who are opposed to the United States are likely to use economic weapons rather than military weapons to contest geopolitical power in the future. There are those who believe J.P. Morgan is part of that game. I have even seen a recent report that suggests J.P. Morgan has been acting to suppress the price of gold so they can get as much gold at as low a price as possible for their Chinese clients. Well, I'm not sure if that's true or not, but those are the allegations, and there is some circumstantial evidence heading in that direction. What do these developments mean for geopolitics, the price of gold, and your investments in 2014? Well, we're going to ask Paul Yusuf about that, so don't go away. We'll be right back. <laughs> 